0: So, we've heard you. We've heard a lot of feedback in the past few weeks, and you guys want us to talk about how to get more money, more dinero, whether it's for an investment property or whether it's for yourself. Listen, the stress test is going up, the market's changing, property prices are going down, and more and more buyers are entering the market for good reason. If you can buy a property today at hundreds of thousands of dollars less than six months ago, why not? Why not? So, we did a good roundtable on this today, this episode was a, oh, I always say it's a good one, but it is a good one. So you definitely are going to want to stay tuned and listen to this all the way to the end because we have a bonus tip at the very end. If you're loving the episode, we're asking you for one quick favor. Leave us a great review on Spotify or iTunes. It'll take you 30 seconds. Go in there, click five stars, tell us what you think and send us a screenshot. We'll send you something to say thank you for doing so. It would mean the world to us. Thanks guys. Enjoy the episode. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YVR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. Okay, this is uh, an interesting conversation and an interesting topic that we're talking about. Everything we talk about on the show is interesting, let's be honest. But uh, specifically in the last week, I reached out to a variety of different real estate agents and clients, and I asked them, what were some of the things that were causing them the biggest either challenges or questions, or in some cases, frustration? And there were a variety of answers that came back in, in the current market. Um, but the, the biggest one was, how do we qualify for more money? And what does that even look like to qualify for more money? I'm, I'm tapped out, or I don't think I can qualify for more. There were, there were so many different answers, but the common response was qualification. Now, um, to be clear, whether you're looking to buy an investment or for your first home or upsize or refinance there are different options that can be available now if you're working with a bank you're often restricted so what we're going to try to do here is uncover options that could be available for you with conventional lenders uh, with alternative lenders and with just other sources of maneuvering and so hopefully after this podcast episode, not only have we provided you with some information that you can take to the bank and to us, I should say, but you know, get more money from the bank. Um, but you also have a clear understanding of the different solutions available for you before you reach out to us to get your mortgage. So as always, welcome to the YVR Remo show. Uh, Derek, where do we want to start this one off here today in regards to getting more money? amortization is a big one but before
1: we go into that just to reference where we're at today in regards to interest rates like we're talking five to five and a half percent rates for conventional lending which means that with the stress test we actually have to qualify every mortgage in the seven percent range which is very very dramatic So as much as property values have come down, we've seen qualification come down dramatically over the last six months as well. And it's really impacting what people can achieve. And, you know, again, property values have come down 15, 20, 25% in some situations, but there's a lot of people trying to get over and above because there's huge discounts on the expensive homes right now. So we're still running into a wall as much as property values have come down. So back to number one, which is amortization. No matter what the situation, if you're dealing with conventional lending, 20% down or more through A-type lenders, We always recommend maxing out your amortization at 30 years. We have some people who are like, you know what, that's great, but I don't want a 30-year mortgage. I want to pay this off in 20 years. That's great. Always go to 30-year for a couple different reasons. Number one, it's going to max your qualification out. And number two, you have the lowest possible payment to fall back on if you want to, whereas we've talked about this before, but you can always bump up your payment to try to speed that up. We've actually seen some lenders come out, uh, alternative B-type lenders uh, in the last few weeks have come out with extended amortization, if you want to dig into that. Yeah. Yeah,
2: just just to go back on your point with the extended amortization. Some people will qualify for the purchase at hand with a 25-year amortization and they or even a 20-year as an example, and they have the goal to pay their mortgage off in that time frame and to your point you could raise the, you know, the payments if you just go with the 30-year. But a lot of people don't realize that, okay, just because I qualify for this purchase price at 20 years and that's what I want to do. I want to pay my mortgage off in 20 years they they reluctantly take the the longer amortization not realizing that it's not maybe just about this purchase it's about the next purchase and making sure that that minimum payment threshold that we see on your credit bureau is attached to a 30 year not a 20 year so i think it's just important to understand that even if you're not trying to qualify for this property that you're that's that you're looking at right now like that's not what we're always talking about it's just making sure we're optimizing our portfolio for the future and so yeah just when you when you mentioned alternative lenders we now have alternative lenders going as high as a 40-year amortization, mm-hmm. which you know a lot of people in the industry are like, "Oh my God, that's crazy!" But you know, in reality, when we got into home ownership, CMHC was doing 40-year
0: amortizations
2: with zero percent down. and Believe it or not. <laughs>
0: anybody who bought their home from what was it like 2005 to 2011 or something like, I don't remember the exact number. So don't fact check me, but there was like a five to 10 year period where they were doing 40 year amortizations. Um, and I don't think anybody today is complaining about the fact that they bought a home on a 40 year amortization with, you know, 5% down at that time uh, at all. Back to your point, just to clarify that in a little bit more detail, you know, what you, Dean, the way that I'm reading what you're saying is, If you have the ability to do a 20-year or you want to do a 20-year and paid off in 20 years, consider taking that longer amortization period um, so that as you're referencing, when we're looking to add perhaps a second property in the future, it looks like you're paying it off over 30 years and your payment shows lower, but you can of course pay it down like in 20 years or, or 15, which is not a bad idea to do, especially in a high rate environment, if you have the ability to do so, but it does impact your future purchases, right?
2: Yeah. And I, and I get it. I have this conversation. I had this conversation twice a day where the client's like, I can't look at a 30 year amortization. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because their existing mortgage has 14 years left and they're yep. selling that home and they're just like, I want a 14-year amortization. We have a 14-year plan. Yep. And it's like, okay, I totally get that. I totally get like how scary that could look, but you just have to think of optimizing the portfolio and growing your wealth. If that's what you want to do, you want to yep. g- acquire more real estate, you really have to optimize the portfolio. And this is the first step.
1: Well, especially if you're not in your forever home, like a 40-year amortization is probably pretty scary, but mm-hmm. who cares? Like mm-hmm. it's very likely you don't even make it through your five-year term right? Let alone a 40 year amortization. Like most yeah. people are going to upsize. They're going to change your plan or they're going to downsize when it's time to
0: retire and you have no mortgage, right? Yeah. Just because of equity that you've built. Okay. But in summary, just to make sure everybody's on the same page, because our conversation is about qualifying for more, the biggest and the key point around this is that typically people try to qualify for say 25 years, Take the longer amortization, we spread it over, over more time. You can qualify 15, 20, 25, 30% more money uh, than you could have before. So, moving on, down payment. This is an underutilized and underconsidered part of qualifying for more money. It's shocking for a lot of people when we explain to them that when you put down 20%, not only do you qualify for a little bit more money, you qualify for a lot more money, and that's for a few reasons. I mean, the biggest one right off the bat, and uh, you know, we we can roundtable this afterwards. Is is a CMHC or Sagen or one of the insurance agencies? When you put down less than twenty percent, you have to follow their guidelines, and they allow you to qualify like like full stop. No more than thirty nine percent of your income can go towards the housing. We can talk about debt ratios another time. In twenty five years, that's it nothing past that, no extensions, no nothing beyond that. You put down 20% and then your options for lenders not only open up, but you don't you no longer have that insurance requirement. You have the longer amortization periods. You eliminate the insurance from part of that cost. And now your debt ratios can increase, which we'll touch, we'll touch on the debt ratios later, but uh, that's a big one, the down payment. Well,
2: huge. And also keep in mind that it allows you to purchase for a purchase price over a million dollars. And in our market, I mean, it's changed quite a bit now with the current market, but, you know, for a long time, you could not find a single family home in where we live for under a million bucks. True. And so you needed that 20% down payment just to get over to that threshold because that is the
1: cap for uh, CMHC insured or Sagen insured mortgages, a million dollar purchase price. Yeah. Yeah, you hit on all the main points. I actually ran some numbers for a client uh this week and she was a little bit over four hundred thousand purchase price with five percent down. And now she's got a gift to family to get to twenty percent and we can get her to about five fifty. And that's really where she needed to be to actually buy. So without that, she was not gonna purchase. That
0: makes right? a huge difference. So it difference. makes a
1: massive difference.
0: Yeah, that's huge. Um, you know, if you're close to that threshold, I mean, our feedback is don't wait to get 20% to buy if you can qualify for a loan. So, to be clear, our advice is more pertaining to um, the fact that you can qualify, as Derek mentioned, to so much more. And of course, get above that million dollar threshold. But that 20% down opens up your options to not only con- uh, conventional lenders, but also alternative lenders. And higher debt ratios, forty-four percent instead of thirty-nine. There's quite a bit more to it, so lots to think about there. And we'll cap it there because that is number two. Number three, uh, co-signer, co-signer um, scares a lot of people, and it's also misunderstood on in in a good way and a bad way. But if you're looking to qualify for more money and that stress test is holding you back, because the stress test, as you mentioned off the hop, is uh, like even externally speaking, they're talking about eliminating or suggesting they should eliminate it. I don't think OSFI will. But at the end of the day, if you can get a co-signer, someone who has a good income, who does not carry a large amount of debt to come on your application, that could mean the difference between a condo in a townhome or a townhome in a house or just a you know two bed instead of a one bed or something of that nature. And it's all the difference. Of course, if your budget says that you can make those payments and you're comfortably assured that you can do so, something worth considering, right?
1: Well, that's a big part of it. And I think also you got to you got to kind of have an exit. Usually a co doesn't want to be involved in your mortgage forever. Some people don't care, but most people want to know that you're going to be able to get them off. And that's where we come into play. We'll do planning. Maybe it's, you know, over the course of two years, you're paying off a car loan and you plan on getting a raise in a year and a half. These are things that we can kind of pre-calculate and assume in the future. And if that all falls into play, typically we'll make, make sure it's set up that you can remove the co-signer.
2: Yeah. Number one question I get from a client looking to bring on a co-signer is, what is how is my co signer going to benefit me? And that's a super hard question to answer without actually looking at the file. But I always say, you know, in theory, if that person is the same job and income as you, no debts, in theory, we should look at almost doubling your qualification in, in in a way, depending on what you're buying and how much you're putting down. But it, it can make a big impact. It can also actually be a detriment to you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they could have no income because Maybe they don't have a job, maybe they don't receive a pension, or maybe they have great income, but they got you know a pile of debt and big payments. So in theory, like the co-signer could actually be a detriment to you. But the biggest thing to know is we actually do a full internal deep dive of that file. So no lender actually sees this. It doesn't harm you in any way. It's just another part of the plan to mm-hmm. make sure that this is a fit or not a fit. And if it's not, that's fine. We just move in a different direction. Um, and then I would say to your point, not the, the top question I get from the person actually co-signing is, well, how
1: long is this going to be for
2: and, and so having yeah. that proper
1: exit strategy is key and we can get pretty granular granular to figure out okay we really need to add fifteen thousand dollars of income here to get you to your desired purchase price and then that just tells us that you that couple or that person your income needs to increase by fifteen thousand dollars to remove your co Yep,
0: no question um the last point on the co-signer piece is the biggest tip that every real estate agent and client needs to know if you're actively hunting for a property you need to make sure that that person has been fully pre-approved and qualified don't just assume that that co-signer is going to help you last minute obviously we just roundtabled this for two minutes there i can't count on how many times we've had a client who went and bought a property and they said, oh, don't worry about it. I've got a co I'm going to go ahead and remove conditions. And of course, we're the ones getting the second opinion called because their bank said no, and the co doesn't work out. We had this happen a few weeks ago, right? So um, generally speaking, make sure that everybody's fully qualified and you have the exit strategy. Be prepared, basically. So um, piggybacking on that is a joint venture relationship or partnership. And this is similar to the concept of a Co-signer, but it can work in different ways. Um, in one way, you could have a joint venture where you have two parties who agree together to buy a piece of real estate. Common in real estate investing, that's where we see it most often. But we do see it in in, in you know investing relationships with friends who are quote unquote, investing with a friend to buy a home to live in. So a variety of different ways to set this up. The most important thing from my perspective, when it comes to a joint venture relationship, which is basically, again, uh, an agreement between two parties to own real estate together, could be more than two parties, is to make sure it's in writing from a lawyer. You have to make sure you've decided, A, who's buying the property, who's bringing the cash, what happens if you have to sell, when can you sell, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. Because if that doesn't happen, then what happens if someone's, you know, uh, their relative dies and they need to sell the property or something like that? Did you figure that out in advance? But that being said, you can qualify for more. Yeah,
1: I'd say the main difference between a cosigner and the JV is in a JV, typically both parties or all parties are going to profit from that relationship and from that transaction. Whereas when someone's co-signing, they're typically not in it for profit. They're just trying to support their family member. Uh, but yeah, JVs have become more and more common, especially there's all these situations, right? Someone might not have the down payment, but the other person qualifies for the mortgage and you can kind of mesh those two. Whereas both those people couldn't purchase as of yesterday and now they can. And 50% of something is better than zero of
0: nothing. Did I say that right? I like it. I like it. Let's roll with it. (laughs)
2: Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing to your point with a lawyer, like you have, you have to prepare for the worst case scenario in these situations. I mean, the worst case scenario is usually selling because of a disagreement or, you know, you no longer like each other or what have you. And so having a properly defined exit strategy back to that same term, it, 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 it applies here. You want to make sure you have a clear road to exit and go in your separate ways and that needs to be very clearly defined because when you're and you want to do that while you're on good terms not on bad terms because once you get on bad terms that's a very difficult situation to deal with so again jv i think the biggest value to that is you just have a very defined uh program essentially between the two of you
0: yeah don't get the lawyers involved at the end get them involved at the beginning it's a lot easier after the fact right Okay. uh, Next one, Uh, adjusting your income, uh, self-employed qualifications. So we've had full episodes on this in the past, but the reality is self-employed borrowers are not only the most underserved community when it comes to lending, but also the ones that qualify for less than they should because they often either A, don't know their options or we're working with someone who didn't know or have access to those options like their own bank or someone who didn't understand self-employed lending if you are self-employed not only can you qualify for often more than what a bank says but there are unique programs where you can access the money that you earn in your company to help you qualify in these situations you can obviously increase your your mortgage amount
1: Yeah, there's pros and cons to being self-employed when it comes to financing. And I'd say 80% of the self-employed clients that we talk to typically have shot themselves in the foot at tax time the previous two years, especially if they weren't planning. A lot of people don't plan to buy a home in 2024. It's sporadic. It comes because now you have down payments saved up. Life is good. You're got married, whatever. Um, But a lot of times people are like, oh, you know what? I didn't claim that much last couple of years. I didn't really want to pay the tax. I had some big expenses. I just started my company. Like we hear this stuff all day. And those are the situations where you're either going to put your application on hold for potentially two years and adjust your income at tax time to get you to a point where you can qualify. Or like Alex mentioned, you look into some of these unique self-employed programs where we can access business income rather than personal but just on this topic of adjusting income if you're talking to a broker well in advance of tax time we can help you figure out what your taxes need to show to get you into that property and that mortgage that you're trying to achieve
0: Mm.
2: yeah good points i'd say you know it is it is tough to know if you're going to buy in 2024 and plan for that if that's not on the horizon and especially people that are self-employed their their mind is on their business and and doing what they need to do to grow the business, or or just get through what they're getting through. Um, but I think the biggest tip to to keep in mind is is just being consistent with the way you draw your income. And, and to simplify this as best as I can, there's two ways to draw an income from your own business: you either T four yourself as an employee, or you pull a dividend. And your accountant will will suggest one or the other for whatever their strategy is. And most accountants are are pretty good at what they do, and they know what they're doing but uh i would just make sure that you're doing the same form consistently so if your accountant's like hey i think you should do dividends this year we'll just ask them did i do dividends last year and if the answer is no i would try to stay consistent and do dividends or t4s every year and the reason being is when you go to get a mortgage the 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 lender especially a triple a bank that you would want to work with is going to be looking for a two-year consistency of that form so if you went t4 Uh, in 2021 and then you went dividend in 2022, well, we're going to have an issue potentially with a two year average for that source of income. So I'd say that's the biggest tip just to simplify, just do the same form of income drawing that you did the previous year and you'll be that much further ahead than most.
0: Yeah, good points. And obviously, if you are filing your taxes and you're working with us already or or planning to buy, uh, give us a call. Uh, We will uh, happily consult with you and, and look at your options to provide you with the most information and move forward. We've heard a lot of feedback. So many listeners to our podcast are thirsty for information, but one of the biggest gaps in real estate investing is some of the fundamentals. So we spent the better part of 12 months putting together some videos, content, and building out a course along with PDF and a pro forma. To help you understand the fundamentals of real estate investing, this is best for someone who's starting looking to understand a broad perspective of how to get started, and all the different avenues that you could be looking at when it comes to real estate investing. So we're going to touch really quickly on the three primary principles of how to make money in real estate investing. So
1: the first one is cash flow. We go very in depth in this through the course. Cash flow is essentially the profit from monthly rental income over and above your property costs and some properties will have this some properties won't.
2: Number 2 is principal paydown. Every mortgage payment has a portion of principal and interest within the payment and the principal is essentially deducting the balance each month. So what you owe to the lender every month will be deducted by the principal paydown and that's obviously beneficial because when you go to sell the home or refinance a home, you're gonna owe less than you did when you bought it.
0: Appreciation is something that we consider to be almost like a bonus piece of real estate investing, but it is something that, although not predictable, is a way that you can make money. This is a property going up in value. As that property increases in value, of course, your equity will grow in this property along with your principal reduction. There is a little bonus, which is sweat equity, which is the work that you're putting into a particular property, which allows you to increase the property value. And then of course, Once you've refinanced it or sold it, it's allowed to get you more money out of the property. That's a quick snippet of what you'll get out of the guide. If you're interested, make sure to click a link in the description to get access to a 50% off early bird special and happy investing. The next one is an underrated one and often uh, confused or maybe uh, not even considered. Uh, qualifying for more sometimes means consolidating debt. Now, this is very common in situations where someone is selling and buying a property. In so many circumstances, someone might say, you know what, I don't want to pay off my car or I don't want to pay out my credit card or these types of things. And like you said, if you go to the bank, they'll just listen to what you have to say and then provide you with a qualification based on what you've just said, I don't want to pay these off. But, you know, let's say, for example, you have $10,000 of line of credit. That's the equivalent on your mortgage qualification to $300, which is quite a bit of money when it comes to, that's almost $50,000 of mortgage money for 10 grand, the trade-off, right? Same thing with the car loan, double it up, 600 bucks. Again, we're talking about almost $100,000 of mortgage qualification. Now, the exact numbers depend on your twenty, your 25 years, 30-year, 30 35-year amortization. But the reality at the end of the day is consolidating or paying out those debts whether from the sale or yourself in either way case scenario is going to have a big impact on what you can qualify for in many circumstances
2: huge and you know whether it's you know you're selling and you're going to put some of those proceeds towards a debt or we're just looking at refinancing and restructuring uh, a lot of times these debts actually have a quite a bit of interest attached to them too so not only does it help you from a qualification standpoint because we're reducing those payments but we're probably saving quite a bit on interest and that's something to to really
1: consider is the annual interest amount that we're paying on these products yeah so we talked about selling and buying refinancing so a lot of common question misconception is if you're just simply buying a home we get the question all the time can i roll my car loan into this purchase can i roll my credit cards into this purchase you absolutely cannot a lender isn't going to Go over and above the property value to allow you to consolidate debt, it would put them at a higher risk level. All you can really do in those scenarios is drop your down payment if you have cash available to put that cash towards debt and use the remainder for down payment with a goal of improving purchase price.
0: So I'll piggyback on that. Um, accurate, and you're right, you can't purchase, uh, but we should talk about a unique program where, I mean, you can borrow against the future value to consolidate some of the debt. To your point exactly, you can't necessarily just add it to the purchase price. Um, that would be, you know, um, uh, financing something that's not included. However, uh, strategically speaking, um, you could look at using a cashback type program. The reason, uh, the reason this one is a hard one to recommend is first and foremost, if someone were to do a cashback program, say for example, 1% or 2% or 3% of the mortgage amount, uh, often they'll be paying a a very large prepayment penalty if they leave early. In some of the banks, it's extremely dramatic. Um, And and in addition to that, their actual costs will go up. So it can make sense, but yeah, to your point, not something that we typically see or recommend for the most part from that perspective. Uh, Working with the right lender is big. in a highlight, it's often around, it's not everything to do with rental qualifications, but in many circumstances, the right lender can make a massive difference in how much you qualify for, and specifically when there's rent involved, specifically. I think we've talked about this on the show many times in the past, but there are offsets, there are addbacks. backs, but in addition to that, every lender has essentially like a spreadsheet calculation of how they take it and what they'll consider it's so important to work with a good mortgage broker when it comes to rental income for that reason alone. But yeah, just knowing your lenders is is big, hey? Huge. Um,
2: everyone has a slightly different set of guidelines and or, you know, a lot of lenders have a certain focus on type of clientele that they want, which, you know, may sound surprising. But, you know, when the year starts, the fiscal year for a bank is is not our typical January to to December. But when they when the bank's fiscal year starts, they do have a certain allotment for certain type of programs. Let's say rental properties. Let's say this bank wants rental properties, more of them. They're going to have more favorable guidelines to get more rental properties. So they're, they're going to have to, if they want to get that business, they need to go out to the market, go to the broker channel and, or, or the public and, and essentially let the public know we want more of this type of product. And to do that, they're going to have more favorable guidelines for that type of transaction and and I get this question all the time like why would Scotiabank be more favorable to me than TD in this situation but TD is more favorable to me and in the other situation and it's for those reasons alone like they have allotments they have a focus and that's
0: what they're trying to fill up their coffers with. Mm -hmm. Looking forward at the uh, next consideration and we have a few more to go here this is one that's Pro- like listening to this episode could be considered what we're talking about, which is pre-planning and preparation. We talked about being self-employed and preparing with your accountant. We talked about preparing with your co-signer and uh, and potential joint venture. But just quite simply, giving yourself time to review your options and work with us to do some planning could help you qualify for more. And believe it or not, we see a lot of people who don't do that we get a call again second opinion last minute or didn't do their you know due diligence and again i'm not knocking those people perhaps they weren't advised to consider doing this in the beginning but they can make a big difference in your options to know what you have to do oh 100 i mean you're
2: you're forecasting like let's let's as an example today i have a perfect example client's credit bureau has the wrong birth date and the name is spelled incorrectly and we're you know luckily we're in the planning stage and we're able to rectify that but a change like that as an example did not show up on that individual's credit karma their personal credit you know software that they're using to check their credit but now we've noticed an issue and it's going to take equifax probably 30 to 45 days to fix that and if you know if you're trying to buy right now that would be an issue that would probably not get rectified it sounds so minor but it that will actually derail Uh, a a very a live transaction and so that's such a minor example but it's it's a good it's a good one because now we have
1: time to actually fix that or rectify it and there's so many other issues that i'm sure you can list off yeah i mean it's never too early to do an application i tell everyone it's a little bit of work for you you got to get us an application and documents it's a little bit of work for us to run the numbers Mm -hmm. and it opens up a conversation and best case scenario You qualify today to do what you want and you weren't even planning for that, but worst case scenario, you're not quite there and we can talk about what you need to do, whether it's like saving a little bit more money, getting your co-signer on board. Maybe it's a JV because you just have no options on your own, right? Saving up down payment, adjusting income. There's all these different things that we can kind of map out and whether it takes six months or two years, at least we can start the conversation. Yep.
0: Yep. Uh, it is always a big idea or a good idea to be more prepared than less prepared when it comes to you know financing a, a property. The specific property types is something that we talked about as an option here, and specific property types is probably something that surprises some people. But when we talk about total debt ratio, when we're qualifying you for a mortgage, we obviously look at the the mortgage payment, but the other factors that we're considering are the heat. Of course, we're looking at the strata fees if there are strata fees and the property taxes. And I don't think enough people really consider the fact that property taxes and strata fees in many situations can make you qualify for more or for less. A good example of that would be commonly in, in Vancouver, let's say downtown, we're seeing strata fees in condo high rises from you know, $600 and up, right? I've seen strata fees for $1,000 in, 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 downtown Vancouver, whereas a lot of newer low rise buildings in the Valley and in the Okanagan, we know we see numbers around 300. Uh, so, you know, perhaps you're not seeing that level of range, but from 250 to $650, that can make a very large impact on what you can qualify for. Huge.
2: We I, I see that regularly where, you know, clients trying to figure out if they want to live in the city, the downtown core of Vancouver. And we're looking at, yeah, strata. I haven't really seen many strata payments below $600, to be honest. And we've seen many in the seven, $800 range. As as well, property taxes are a little bit higher in in the in the city of Vancouver opposed to let's say Surrey. Mm-hmm, property mm-hmm. taxes are you know arguably half the amount, and the strata payment is in that three hundred range. Like we're talking, arguably anywhere from fifty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars difference in qualification amount, and that's significant.
1: Yeah. And the last thing just on property is rental income. If if we've qualified someone for an investment purchase or maybe a detached home with a rental suite, if you're coming back to us saying, hey, we found a detached home, it's got a basement suite, two bedroom and a coach house and the rent's double what we used, that's going to help you qualify for more. If you're buying a rental property in Langley where you're not cash flowing compared to buying something in Alberta where you're cash flowing $1,000 a month, that's going to help you qualify for more. So heat we've touched on, but that's based on typically size of property. That's a, a, a cost we have to factor in. Strata fees, property taxes are huge. They fluctuate massively. And then the last one would be rental income.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and the, we've talked about this before, the different lenders that you're working with, but the rental income can impact uh, that piece too, right? So,
2: the one thing I just want to touch on is when we talk about sp- specific properties is we see a lot of big acreage ALR type properties. We've done episodes on this, but you know, when you're looking at a property, the size of you know, 20 acres or more, uh, the appraisal value comes into play and the, most lenders are looking at the first five acres of of the property for value. And if that property, a lot of these big acres properties have multiple buildings on them, the, the lender will only look at it evalu- evaluating the first five acres in one building. And that could really, uh, really derail how much you qualify for on that specific property because we're now putting a much larger down payment down because of the value, because of its nature of being. So think about that
0: if you don't want to qualify for more. Yeah, (laughs)
2: exactly. And that's the thing. It's like we get a lot of qualification. Hey, we're qualified for a million bucks and then, you know, two days later, we have a 20-acre parcel come through the— With six our and, Yeah, uh, and it's like, ah, uh, that's going to be a bit different. But,
0: yes, yeah. agreed, agreed. I'm going to circle back, and I'm going to throw this as a bonus, but I'm going to throw it as a bonus as a uh, riff on, I believe it was our seventh one. Like, go back to lenders. We touched briefly on working with the right lender when it comes to rental income— Um, And we briefly talked about alternative lending throughout this entire process, but I really want to just end off and highlight this because it's references B lending. We might've even said that, but we're really trying to move away from that. It's almost like A minus these days. The last few years has been really interesting in the lending space where more and more and more lenders are coming to the table to find creative ways to help clients do what qualify for more money, especially in these circumstances. Now, whether it's, you know, unique income, like foster income, where a lot of sometimes lenders don't like that or or maybe something short term or maybe you just need to qualify for more money these lenders are coming to the table with rates that are almost the same in some cases as the banks sometimes there's a small fee um, but those types of lending and le- lending products can make a massive difference on your qualification you had mentioned earlier today you were able to acquire 100, 140,000 dollars extra for a client and that's just one example and that's just a typical you know lending situation right um the big thing to note uh, to the listeners is that not every broker works with alternative lending products it's something that we've spent a lot of time uh learning and and figuring out and it's constantly evolving so i wanted to highlight that
2: yeah it's a good point and we've been talking a lot about you know the idea of like owning the property renting the rate or you know marrying the property date or yeah dating the rate (laughs) there's so many different examples there but that's a great example because um Especially in this market, we you know a lot of people think we're going to hit the bottom of this market in the next six to nine months, what have you? Maybe it's sooner, and it's hard to hit the you know the bottom. But there, the point is, is there's, a, there's a lot of opportunity right now to buy, and you may have the money for a down payment to buy, but you're like, shoot, well I don't qualify with my bank, mm-hmm. and these alternative lenders, yeah, you know maybe the rate's a little bit higher, maybe there's a fee, but just look at it this at, at the point of hey, this is we're renting the rate, mm-hmm. but we're gonna we're gonna buy this property, and then. You know, because it allows us to do it now mm-hmm. and then we can regroup in a year's time or two years time
0: and go get a better rate when rates are better anyways. True. Well said. Hey, those are just 10 ways to qualify plus a bonus for more money. If you are looking for different ways to qualify, maybe maybe for more money or a second opinion or looking for uh, lending options for your clients, make sure to reach out to us at Thrive Mortgage Co. You can find us online at thrivemortgage.ca or Instagram at Co. Make sure to rate and review the podcast if you're loving it and send it to some friends and uh, we look forward to seeing you in the next one.